0: The Oracle Network. The Oracle Network. Look
1: deeper. I'm Dane. I'm Elaine.
0: And this is Sublime True Crime. If you want to skip the preamble this week and get straight to the crime in question, just skip forward to 9 minutes 39-ish and you should find the star.
1: If you like the waffle...
0: (laughs) Then stick with us. Stay
1: with us. (laughs)
0: Uh, For regular listeners, you might have noticed a small change in the start of this week's podcast. Sublime True Crime is now part of the Oracle Network. What that means for you as a listener is that you'll hear promos for other true crime podcasts, which is something we've done for a while now anyway. It's often said the true crime podcast community is close and friendly and that's certainly been our experience, hasn't it? Lovely people. Yeah. Hopefully the promos will help you find your next favourite podcast, after us, of course. And what it means for us as a podcast is that we get some support with the podcast. You probably know that both Elaine and I work full-time and the podcast is done in our spare time. Having the other podcast hosts in the Oracle Network to lean on is a really handy thing to have. It is, because you would
1: have no idea how much time it takes researching for a podcast.
0: Oh my God, yes. I did a meme the other day, didn't I? One does not simply bang out a quick podcast. It <laughs> doesn't happen.
1: Mm. So, this week we have two promos. The first is from Eric over at True Consequences.
0: Hello, this is Eric carter Lundeen, the host and producer of True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico and the American Desert Southwest. We'll uncover cases such as the Toybox Killer, one of the worst serial rapists and suspected serial killers in New Mexico's history. We will also discuss mysteries such as alien sightings, as well as hauntings and other weird things that happen in this area of the country. I hope you'll give me a chance and listen to True Consequences. I think you might enjoy it. You can find us wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts.
1: Thank you, Eric. Eric is part of the Oracle Network too, so go and
0: subscribe. Yep. And the next promo is from Mad or Bad. Take it away, Rachel and Neil. Hello, fellow podcast enthusiasts.
1: My name is Rachel.
0: And I'm Neil. And together we are a husband and wife duo and the hosts of Mad or Bad, a true crime podcast.
1: Mad or Bad is a true crime podcast with a psychological twist which takes a look at true crime cases from the UK
0: and around the world. We cover murders, serial killers, disappearances, abuse scandals and much more. We have a special interest in murders local to where we live in England, however we also love covering other lesser known cases from around the world. We also love discussing psychological phenomena and how it relates to true crime.
1: So join us every Monday for a new true crime story where we discuss crime, murder, psychology and much more. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else
0: you get your podcasts. And that just goes to show we're not the only couple hosting a true crime podcast. Mm. So what have we done this week?
1: Oh, this week. Well, I had a day off yesterday.
0: And you spent all day relaxing and doing nothing, enjoying the sunshine, didn't you? No. No.
1: I spent the whole day painting the inside of my summer house.
0: You did indeed. And it looks marvellous.
1: It does look marvellous. I haven't finished it yet. Right, still looks better than it did. Yeah, couldn't do all of it. But it was lovely because I put an audiobook on. I was listening to Lucy Walsley's Jane Austen at Home, which is fantastic. If you're a Jane Austen fan, like I am, I also had that playing and was outside just painting away. It was beautiful.
0: Lovely. Lovely. I will put a link to the Audible in the description. Yes. It will be an affiliate link.
1: So.
0: Mm. We'll learn some be honest. Yeah,
1: it's obviously not true crime, but obviously <laughs> it's <not>. very interesting. <laughs> I learned that Covent Garden used to be the red light district in London.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah you told the, me. Back in the
1: 1800s. Yeah. It was fascinating. And it was often milliners, hat makers, who were, were a front for prostitutes. Who knew?
0: Who knew, indeed. Mm. The things you learned. What did you do this week? Well, I decided to play around with the Sublime True Crime website, so that's a little bit prettier. The episodes, of the weekly episode posts that I do,
1: did you put some little flowers on it?
0: Metaphorically speaking, <laughs> yeah, it just looks nicer than it did. And I also I made the decisions to do a load of social media stuff to set up for the future. Mm-hmm. And that between the two of them has taken all bloody week. It's horrifying the amount of time it took. It's so time yes.
1: consuming. Well, you you did um, a quiz, didn't you? A, a poll of how long it takes people to write um, true crime podcasts. Yes.
0: Ten. And the general consensus was somewhere between 10 to 20 hours per episode.
1: 10 to plus 20 hours, wasn't
0: it? So it was 10 to 20 and 20 plus were the two big winners. There is a podcast out there, I can't remember who it was for the life of me, it reckons they can research, write, record, edit, and publish their podcasts in less than three hours.
1: I don't believe it. Right. I don't believe it!
0: <laughs> I'm sure they can, but bloody amazing if you can do. I can't. I can. No. Anyway, on to the five-star reviews. So we've got a few this week. It's been lovely. The first is from Tolua Von Doove, who says, Great crime podcast. I can't get enough true crime, and this really fits the bill. Oh, Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, tolula. The next is from Julia Dow, who writes, Good balance. Dan and Elaine are so cute and funny. Oh, <laughs> The podcast is a good mix of facts and a few funny rod bits of commentary from the hosts. I would recommend. Also, amazing accents.
0: Yeah, I'm, I don't know if the rod bits is rude bits, or if it's just...
1: It's probably rude bits, actually. Probably rude bits. I don't know what that means. I don't Do you know what you mean? We're never rude, Julia.
0: Yeah. And Julia, must be talking about your accent, Elaine, because uh, mine is only amazing when I slip into proper Essex London chat, innit?
1: Do I need to practice my telephone voice, though? Because I, I sometimes slip out <laughs> of my, my telephone
0: voice. Your well, telephone voice is amazing. My
1: telephone voice. Hi.
0: Hi, I'm Elaine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I used to work on reception years ago, didn't I? And I'm... Um, sometimes Dan would phone me on reception and I wouldn't recognise the number and I would answer in my proper business telephone voice and uh, he didn't always recognise
0: me No, even when you said it was Elaine I was like, um, is that my Elaine? Yes Yeah. Never have I found you at work and gone what are you wearing? Just because I don't know it's you (laughs) (laughs) What are you wearing? Oh sorry Jane, it's Elaine then (laughs) Yeah, I don't think my boss would appreciate that (laughs) Crime Lapse also reviewed us and they've said Dan and Elaine are great hosts. They know how to get the balance right and deliver a quality episode each time. Thank you, Charlie and Eileen. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out their Crime Lapse podcast, it's well worth listening to. And in fact, we've got a promo coming up for them in about three weeks' time.
1: Ooh. A Night 11 has said Sublime True Crime is a great podcast. I said it, I said it. My new favourite. We highly recommend it and a good match for anyone who likes true crime.
0: Thank you very much. And lastly, and I admit, I try not to have favourites, but this is the best review we've received this week. Uh, it reads, I personally might be a bit biased, and I know Dan and Elaine personally, but Sublime True Crime is quite entertaining, and I find myself using this to sleep. The way they bounce off each other sounds genuine and fun, while being factual and entertaining. By about of five. And that is from my son, Chance. Cheers, dude. Love you.
1: Thank you, Chance. Yeah. We love you to bits. Also,
0: quite entertaining and sending you to sleep. Cheers, Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> You can't say anything. You listen to podcasts
1: to fall asleep to all the
0: time. Again, we've had this discussion on the podcast group that we're on on Facebook. For me, if I could fall asleep to a podcast, that's a sign of a really good podcast to me. Mm, Yes. If you'd like to leave us a review, and we would love you to leave us a review, if we're honest, you can do that at sublimetruecrime.com forward slash rate. That link will allow you to leave a rating and a review on the main podcast sites.
1: Leaving a review helps us to reach a wider audience. So thank you for leaving those reviews. We'll do our best to read out the five-star reviews on the podcast where we can.
0: And if you'd like to support the show, you can become a Patreon and get access to the Sublime Extra Time episodes, where we go into a little more detail about the cases we're covering off. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash sublime true crime.
1: Yeah, and um, I actually really enjoy doing the extra time. It's me who, I do the research for the extra time because it's all the bits that obviously I find and go, oh, did you know? And Dan goes, that's not relevant.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Does it add anything to the story? No, no but it's very interesting.
1: <laughs> so if you like those type of snippets, then that's what
0: you want to be watching. If you like the fact that uh, Covent Garden used to be the uh, red light district of London, and was it Milner's used <laughs> Milner's. to be covers for prostitutes, that's the kind of thing we get in uh, at the Extra Time episodes.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, yes, <laughs> it is.
0: What I've noticed, listening to loads and loads of podcasts recently, is the amount of podcast hosts that are doing quarantinis in their episodes.
1: You see, I always listen to This Podcast Will Kill You, which is a fantastic podcast, um, and they have always done quarantinis because they talk about diseases.
0: <laughs> ah, I
1: see. So, I see. They hey. do a, a non-alcoholic quarantini as well, a placebo.
0: Yeah, no, I heard that, yeah. I don't see the point in non-alcoholic.
1: That's because you're an alcoholic. <laughs> 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 Harsh. No, I wouldn't.
0: I haven't had a drink for hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if we did uh, quarantine, though, it would always probably be a French Martini. French that's Martini,
0: our or a JD and Coke and a GT and GNT. GNT. GNT yeah. and Coke. I like
1: a Long Island Iced Tea, but you're not as keen on that. As well. Oh
0: no, it's too Cokey for me. Which it's is like, bizarre because I drink JD and Coke, it's like,
1: and it's like ninety percent booze as well.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen it. There's about seventeen different drinks in it. Yeah. It's anyway, going back off track. This week, the case of the muscle-bound murderer. Carl Eden was born on December 29, 1972, in Middlesbrough, to James and Valerie Eden. In 1995, Carl had everything to live for. Happily dating the mother of his two-year-old child, the pair were recently celebrating the news they were expecting another baby. Aged just 22, he was working at the local Grangetown Rail Depot as a relief train repairer. Wednesday, the 2nd of August, 1995 was just another normal workday for Carl. Sat in a cabin by the rail track, he was interrupted by a colleague, Gary Vinter, who was actually called Douglas, but went by Gary. And I'm going to say this now, as it's all I've had on my mind while writing this, there is no way that I can say his surname without sounding like I'm pronouncing Winter in a Russian or German accent. Vinter. Vinter.
1: Vinter <laughs> was 26 years old and working in a nearby signal box responsible for ensuring that oncoming trains were going down the right set of tracks. He'd broken away from the signal box and made his way to Carl's cabin to pass some time. What happens next is down to the testimony of Gary Vinter alone. The six-foot-seven Vinter was known as a local hardman with a history of violence. When he stepped into Carl's cabin, an argument started, which culminated in Carl shouting at Vinter, something he'd never seen before as he had never watched him lose his temper. When the giant laughed at being shouted at, Carl grabbed a knife from the sink and threatened to kill him. In the subsequent struggle that followed, Vinter overpowered his colleague, wrestled the knife from him and stabbed him. Must
0: be some fucking argument.
1: I know. The first knife broke, causing Vinter to simply put it on the floor and fetch another knife to continue his onslaught. In total, Carl Eden was stabbed 13 times over a wide area of his body. Some accounts have
0: this as 37 times, with every one of his internal organs being punctured. Following the killing, Vinter, having left the second knife sticking in the body, calmly returned to his signal box, ensured that everything was set correctly and that the next few trains would all be able to pass safely. He then drove to the nearby police station in Southbank and admitted the assault. Vinter was as helpful as he could be. He was quick to tell police that they needed to call his employer to tell them about the now unmanned signal box, citing the possible danger to trains. He even drew a map for police, which would take them to the cabin where they'd find Carl's body. Very helpful. Hmm. His helpfulness stopped short of admitting to murder, though. Instead, he claimed it fell under manslaughter due to provocation. When the trial got to Teesside Crown Court the following May, the court heard from Guy Whitburn, QC, for the prosecution, who made the point that stabbing someone in such a way that the blade breaks and then fetching a second weapon to continue the attack is not the actions of manslaughter. On the 21st of May, 1996, Thinter was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life, later being given a 12-year sentence.
1: Amazingly, as the sentence was handed down several weeks after the verdict, Carl's girlfriend, Michelle Robertson, didn't find out what the sentence was until she received a letter in the post from the prison service. That just seems mad. It does, doesn't it? The mum of two, whose daughter Carla was born after Carl's death, and named in his memory, went on record to say, quote, I'm also scared that he'll be out sooner than 12 years with good behaviour, I couldn't cope with it being so soon. I won't stand for it. I'm writing to the parole board, my MP and the Home Office about this. End quote. Sadly, Michelle was proved to be correct in her fear, as Vinter was released just nine years later in August 2005. The parole board had seen favourable reports of Vinter's good behaviour in jail and felt that he was not a danger to others, therefore leading to their decision to release him early.
0: And it's true to say that Vinter had changed in jail. He'd always been intimidating, given his size. But in prison, he'd become an obsessive bodybuilder, made worse by somehow having access to steroids on the inside. So
1: that's just ridiculous, of all the things to have access to. No. Here's not going make you even more aggressive.
0: But he managed to control his temper the whole time he was in jail.
1: Mm.
0: Not only had he changed physically, but Vinter had also been preparing for life on the outside for some time. Thanks to a series of home visits from prison in the two years leading to his release, Vinter had started dating a mum of four called Anne White from Middlesbrough. The pair moved in together in Eston upon his release and married in July the following year, July 2006. But, as we so often hear, not everyone was pleased. Several friends and family members voiced their concerns about the couple. Fast forward six months after the wedding, New Year's Eve 2006, at some point during the evening at the Miner's Arm Pub in Eston, Vinter got hit with a glass across the back of his head. A fight broke out between Vinter and Thomas Ho, who was 22, against Geoffrey Hewitt, aged 40, and Carl Hewitt, aged 19.
1: CCTV's footage showed the four men leaving the pub and Vinter punching Geoffrey Hewitt to the ground and ending the fight. In July 2007, back in Teesside Crown Court, Vinter was sent back to jail, this time for six months. Once again, though, he was a model prisoner and was free again
0: before Christmas. So about five months rather than six months, by the sounds of it. Again.
1: By April the following year though, Vinter was back at Teesside Crown Court yet again, this time for another murder that he'd carried out on the 11th of February 2008.
0: From the end of January onwards, Vinter's wife Anne had become more vocal to her friends about her unhappy marriage. Citing Vinter's violent behaviour, she confided that she wanted to leave him, but was scared, fearing that he would come after her. On the 6th of Feb, the couple had an almighty row, ending with Vinter going mad smashing up a TV set and storming out, taking Anne's passport with him in what can only be seen as a way of stifling her freedom. Now, that I don't understand. It's not like she's going to jump on a plane and go abroad, is she?
1: No, it is a bit bizarre.
0: Yeah. This was the last she saw of her husband until the fateful night of the 11th when she was out drinking with friends.
1: Vinter had consumed alcohol and cocaine on top of his normal steroid cocktail, a paranoia-inducing mix.
0: Jesus Christ, can you imagine?
1: I know, it'd be off your face, wouldn't you? Driving from pub to pub with two of his friends, Philip James and Andrew Drury, both much younger than Vinter at just 22.
0: And how, how old was Vinter by now?
1: I think he was about 38 around about this point. Okay. And both were said to be an awe-of-the-season criminal. You've got to ask about a bloke of that age, though, who's always hanging out with people much
0: younger than them. Well, yeah, I was just thinking that. When you're work colleagues, then sometimes, yeah, there's a crowd that you go out with. But even then, you wouldn't be going out socially drinking on a Friday night with people 16 years younger than you?
1: No. I think it's a control thing. It's like he's, you know, because he's obviously, there's that whole status thing and they all look up to him and and that's what he needs. Stalking his wife around various pubs in Eston and Normanby The couple eventually found themselves separately at the Miner's Arms pub. The same pub where Vinter had the New Year's Eve fight which led to his imprisonment. The evening had been too much for Vinter and before long he was arguing with Anne and her 16-year-old daughter Paige. Spilling outside, witnesses saw him screaming at his wife and ordering her into the back seat
0: of his friend's car. Do you know what? There's no record what happened to Paige after this. No. So I assume she made her own way somewhere.
1: Yeah. As Anne cowered, Vinter's two friends were visibly growing nervous. Dropping the pair off at Vinter's mum's house on Webster Road,
0: Normanby, just over a mile away... And I can only assume that's where he moved in when he left Anne. when, yes, when they had the big fight. Yeah.
1: Anne said to Philip and Andrew, quote, you don't know what you're getting yourself into being with him, end quote.
0: By now, police were looking for the couple, having been called by Anne's worried friends. Calling her on her mobile, they actually managed to speak to Anne she told them that she was still out drinking and having fun. It seems that this was just an effort to keep her husband's temper in check. Mm. Not long after, Vinter attacked Anne in the kitchen at his mother's house while his mother slept upstairs. He initially tried to strangle her before stabbing her four times, three times in her lung, once into the heart and killed her quickly. She died from internal bleeding.
1: Unbelievable. Poor woman. I
0: know. His first reaction was to call Philip and Andrew again, telling them in a breathless phone call to come and get him from where they dropped him off. When they got there, and Christ knows I don't think I'd have answered the bloody phone when he called, much less gone back round now. Hell no. had jumped into the back seat, yelled, go, go, and urged them to leave the scene. Despite seeing him with his shirt and hands covered in blood, they did as they were told. Fuck that.
1: I know, no way. i had been like that. What the fuck off? <laughs> I suppose once you're in that situation and he's right there, you'd be like, I don't know. Covered in blood? Has he still got a knife?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'd be like, I'm in my car. (laughs) Locking the door. Locking the door. No. (laughs) Using Anne's phone, Vinter rang the police, admitting to the murder. Quote, right, my name's Gary Vinter. I'm solely responsible for the death of my wife. There's nobody else involved, just me. I killed my wife. That's all I'm prepared to say. End quote. At least he had the decency to be sure that no one else was going to get caught up in this horrific murder, Right. Yeah, Not quite.
1: That's so kind of him.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was Vinter's mother who stumbled across the body of her daughter-in-law on the kitchen floor.
1: What a shit shitbag, doing yeah. that to his mother. I think as well with that whole... That he, he's very quick to ring the police, isn't he? Yeah. I've done something awful, I've killed someone. I'll just phone the police and that'll make it all fine. Yeah. No, it doesn't make it all fine.
0: And I thought it was really odd, the way he just went, I'm solely responsible. Yeah. Like no question that anyone else is involved, you shitbag.
1: No. In echoes of the murder of Carl Eden... Two knives had been used, one of which was broken in half. And despite his admission by phone, when police caught up with Vinter at 2am, they had to use batons to get him subdued. Upon being handcuffed, Vinter said, I'm a convicted murderer. Nobody's going to take a blind bit of notice of what I've got to say. I'll be pleading guilty at the earliest opportunity. I will not be running a trial. Detective Superintendent Gordon Lang was put in charge of the investigation into Anne White's death. Although, in truth, there wasn't much investigating to do. True to his word, Vinter told his lawyer, Brian Russell, to offer no mitigation on his part. In sentencing, Judge Peter Fox... Least judgy name you've
0: had to date, I think.
1: I think probably is, yes. Yes. Judge Peter Fox said, quote, Regrettably, you are incapable of self-control. Your extreme violence to others cannot be viewed as other than continuing for as far as can be seen. You therefore fall into that relatively small category of people who should be deprived permanently of their liberty in a civilised society. It is a whole life
0: sentence, end quote. Anne's father, Jim White, who was 71 at the time, said, quote, When a man's got life and gets parole after 10 years, surely if he breaks that parole, he goes back and finishes the life sentence. All we want to know is why he didn't finish his sentence when he went in. He was only out two months when he murdered her. It's unbelievable. It's broke us all, the whole family. She was our only girl and she's gone. End quote. That's so sad. It is, isn't it? Val Eden, mum of the first murder victim, Carl, said it was marvellous news that Vinter would die in prison. She told reporters, quote, He's not going to get out again. I feel so sorry for the other family that have had to go through what we've been through. We know exactly how they are feeling at this present time. It takes an awful long time to recover. Your life is never the same again. You never get over it. My son had two small children. End quote.
1: I think it's so horrible as well because, obviously, Carl had two small children. Anne, she had four children.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's disgusting, isn't it? And
1: her 16-year-old daughter, Paige, had been with her on the night that she ended up being killed. Just the damage to those lives.
0: And poor old Paige must be going through the mill because she must be thinking, if I'd have done this, if I'd have done that, if I'd have said this. I mean, I'm assuming that because the police
1: tried to call Anne straight away, that I'm assuming that Paige had contacted the police and that's what she was doing. It was obviously good on her, but you'd never completely forgive yourself, would you? Even though there's nothing she could have done. No. And the case should end there, but naturally, it doesn't.
0: Because why would it? No.
1: (laughs) In July 2011, Vinter attacked Roy Whiting, the killer of eight-year-old schoolgirl Sarah Payne, at Wakefield Jail in West Yorkshire. Then, in November 2014, he attacked Lee Newell, himself a double killer, also serving a whole life term in the special segregation wing at Milton Keynes.
0: Not that fucking segregated, was it?
1: No, because we've got a lot about that in the extra time, actually. Yeah. CCTV footage showed Vinter punching Newell to the ground and then kicking him in the head several times as he was on the ground. He was heard to say, quote, That's what happens when you mess me about. End quote. The attack was so violent that it caused head and brain injuries to Newell, who was also left blinded in one eye. Fucking hell. Senior prison officer Mark Kupchek said that Newell's injuries were. Quote, The worst injuries I have seen in a prison in 21 years of service, end quote. That's really fucking saying something, isn't it? It
0: really is, isn't it? And the reason for the attacks? If you think it was just a case of prisoners meeting out their own form of justice, which so often happens to the likes of paedophiles in jail, you'd be wrong. During the court case, it was revealed that two months before the assault, Linter had requested a transfer to a prison with better gym facilities. He'd decided that waiting two months was too long. And so he took his frustration out on Newell.
1: Using him like a punchback. That's unbelievable. What a shit can. Yeah, I think he, he, he made a threat as well at the time. He'd made some type of threat to the prison people, basically. If you don't transfer me, then I will lose my temper and it'll be your fault. It's not how it works.
0: It's really not, is it? When brought up for sentencing, Judge Richard Foster told Winter, quote, You must be one of the most dangerous individuals within the prison system today. Your record is truly shocking, end quote. He set a minimum term of 18 years, calling it an academic exercise. As he explained, quote, You will, in any event, spend the rest of your life in prison. However, it is important, not least for Lee Newell and his family, that due process has taken its course. End quote. And I think that's the sad thing for me. There's nothing stopping Vinter from doing what he likes because he can't be more punished than he's already had been. You know, other than being put in isolation or maybe taking away his, his gym rights. He's there for life, and he knows it.
1: Yeah, that is the hard thing with um, full life sentences. Is there's no escalation from there. You know mm. yourself as by like, you know when you're parenting that you you never threaten anything you're not going to carry out, and you have to gradually escalate through punishments. <laughs> because otherwise, if you go straight from naught to sixty, there's nowhere else to go. The amount and of times
0: I've counted to three: one, don't make it two, two and a half.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you introduce a half, you've lost. <laughs> <laughs> Vinter later went on to challenge his whole life tariff, arguing that it was incompatible with his human rights. I don't
0: think there's been a single whole of life that we've covered so far that hasn't tried this.
1: No, there isn't at all. And, you know, there's a simple answer to this. is don't murder people.
0: <laughs> Let's write that down. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't murder people. Yeah.
1: Lawyers <laughs> argued with David Liddington, the then Secretary of Justice, that he hadn't put proper procedures in place for reviewing the sentences of lifers, despite European Court of Human Rights rulings which expressed that there should be a clear review mechanism in the UK. Lord Justice Jackson dismissed the case, citing that the ECHR had recently backed the way that the UK had dealt with the case of another life a prisoner, going on to claim that it was too soon for another legal challenge.
0: And that is the case of the muscle-bound murderer. What are your thoughts? What do you think is an appropriate punishment for someone who is already serving a whole-of-life sentence?
1: Do you think it was odd that he said that nobody would believe what he said anyway since he was already a murderer after he'd killed our might?
0: Let us know. You can email us, dan at sublime dot com or elaine at sublime dot com or you can reach us via the Facebook page. Just search for Sublime True Crime. If you're enjoying this series, please leave us a review. A five star one would be really welcomed. It'd be as welcome as a COVID-19 vaccine, please. Yes, please. Mm-hmm.
1: As it helps us to reach more people. If you want to leave us a review, you can do us at sublimetruecrime.com forward slash rate.
0: We'll do our best to read out the five-star reviews on the podcast where we can.
1: And if you can think of any case you should like us to cover, please do let us know. Dan's working on a suggested case already from the Facebook group.
0: Yes. Jay got in touch and has um, given us a couple that we're investigating. Yeah. And I think in a week or two, we're going to have that one ready. So thanks, Jay. But until next time, goodbye.
1: Goodbye.